could this morning turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus 1. Now, Braden always jokes with me that uh, Leviticus is his favorite book. And so, I'm finally throwing him a bone by going to Leviticus today. And we want to look at a few things here as found in uh, Leviticus 1. Now, personally, I've never... Let me think about this. I've heard quite a few sermons. I don't ever remember one from Leviticus 1. So this is sort of a, a, new, a new ground for me as far as um, coming from that. I know I myself have never preached from Leviticus 1. But I don't know that I've ever heard a message either from Leviticus 1. So we'll see how this turns out. <clears throat> Notice these words here starting with 1 and 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." If his gift for the burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces, and its head and its fat. And the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar He shall remove its crop and its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Help us now understand Your Word and apply it to our hearts this morning by the power of Your Spirit, we pray 
In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, so I sort of try to do like an introduction typically in a sermon. What you want to do right up front is what they call kind of hook people. That's what they call it. And so you want to have something that kind of pops, uh, something that kind of grabs everybody's attention, maybe say something that is off a little bit to get every... What? What did he say? Who? What? How? And then you go from there. Well, with this sort of reading, I don't know that I even have to really... I mean, do I need to get sort of a hook introduction here? I mean, ripping, tearing, bleeding, throwing, splattering, washing... Legs, entrails, crops, tearing wings. I mean, this is quite, quite a little way to start a book, right? Leviticus 1 starts off sort of with a bang as far as toward livestock and fowl of the air. Uh, and when you read Leviticus, you're going to get a lot more of this. I mean, I read the first chapter just sort of as an introduction so that hopefully you can go read the rest of the stuff later. I'm not going to put on a class this morning uh, on the sacrifices. You know, we could do that at a different time, but not today. This is not, it's not what preaching does. Instead, what I want to do is proclaim some stuff from a, from a text that really is sort of so foreign to us that we really, uh, we don't live there. We don't, it means very little to us, quite frankly, when we read it. We sort of speed up the reading most of the time if we're headed through Leviticus. But I want us to slow down. I want us to see a couple things here that matter for us Christians. That mattered for them. One of the things is this. Here's your first big, big idea. It's inconceivable to think of worship without sacrifice. So there is no worshiping without sacrifice. So even Alabama football, right? Which gets worship quite a bit in Alabama. Uh, Worship being defined simply as just what you give your time, energy, and resources to. That's what you worship in life. What you give yourself to, right? And quite frankly, a lot of people give their self to Alabama football. They're highly invested in it. Money-wise, energy-wise. I mean, you lose a game and it ruins your day. Some of us, that might be absurd. To others of us, we live and die upon our teams. And so from a very sort of secular worshiping of football all the way to atheistic thinking, or agnostic thinking. There's not worship without sacrifice. You say, I didn't think that atheists worshipped. Well, trust me, they worship certain things because if you give your time, energy, and resources to something, that's what you worship. That's what's at core. And so, there is no worshiping without sacrificial giving. And so here, obviously, at the beginning of Leviticus, you get a lot of sacrificial talk. And there's, you know, cut here, throw the blood there, drain this, boil that. 
separate this, put this outside the gate, burn this whole thing. If you don't have enough money for a for a bull, then you can go down to a lamb. You don't have enough money for a lamb, you can go down to a pigeon. So the law actually makes provision for those who do not have as much money as others. And you give in proportion to what you have. We also hear that you give your first fruits, not your last, but up front. Which is why, practically speaking, as a Christian, your tithe really should come off the top. Not what's left over. It should go first. You're operating constantly from 90%. The 10% is never yours. Never mine. And this is the way the Old Testament operates. This is the way the New Testament operates. As far back even before the law, Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. This mysterious anomaly that comes through the wilderness. And he offers him a tithe, which means 10%. Now, this message is not on tithing, but it's on sacrifice. And where does it hit us most but in the pocketbook? What you give your money to, again, will prove what you invest in in life. What you really want to give yourself to in life. Same thing with your time and your resources. And so, worship is what we end up giving ourselves to. And Leviticus is a very detailed book of how you can give yourself to God. The first part of the book is really been sort of summarized as the way to the Holy One. So if you want to get to God, come to God, and again we're talking about righteousness being made right with God. If you want to approach God, then He's going to give us some ways to do that. He's going to tell us how to approach Him. You don't just waltz in yourself. There are certain ways that are determined for you. It's His way, not your way. Or, as we often say, um, Yahweh, not your way. And yet, for some reason, when we move to the New Testament... When we move to our modern times, we say to ourselves, oh, we've, we've shaken off all that. We don't need any of this stuff anymore. Now, in a way, you're right. I mean, I would be in my position considered a priest, which means I'd have to be washing cow's legs. It's a weird thing to think about me doing. Butchering up animals constantly. Tearing pigeons in half, but not all the way. Washing the entrails like chitlins. That's what chitlins are. And throwing blood everywhere. I definitely wouldn't be wearing this to do that sort of job. And so in a way, you're right when we say, no, no, we don't have to do this anymore. But we are incorrect to think that there is just no way now to approach God. You see, this was His way to approach Him. And there still is a way to approach God. And it's not your way. And it's not my way. It's 
Yahweh. God's way. The great I am. So we need to be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We say to ourselves, look, we don't, we, don't, we don't do animal sacrifice anymore, so we shouldn't even read Leviticus. And what we have to understand is this. And people will try to push you in this corner. That's why I want to take a moment to, to lay this out for you. People will constantly say, look, um, you're saying we shouldn't do this. Practice fornication. Homosexuality. Polygamy. Incestuous relations. You say we shouldn't do these things, but the Bible says that you shouldn't join two garments together. So why would you say, choose this one, but not the other one? You're just picking and choosing what you want. This is what I hear constantly in my world. I'm sure you've heard it in your world if you've ever been in argumentation with anybody. Why would you... You just get to pick the laws? Is that what you're doing? That puts you in charge. Is that what we are doing? No. There's a difference between the laws. So there are many laws. There's not just ten, right? You know, you get get the Ten Commandments introduced in chapter 20. And after that, a host of other laws. I mean, ad nauseum. Right? Man, why... Your ox does this, my ox does that, and what do we do? I mean, you know, it's just... Um, I was thinking the other day, you know, it, there's a lot of talk about oxen, and, and uh, that's like a fleet. I mean, if you own a business, you have, you have trucks that people take out to go work. Well, in the ancient world, oxen were trucks. You say 18-wheelers? That was oxen in the ancient world. So if a big 18-wheeler plows into the back of you, what happens? Civilly, what happens? Well... There were laws called civil laws. These laws determine if your ox gores my son, that's not your fault. You're not going to go to prison. You didn't know that ox was going to be bad. Just the same today as if you didn't know your brakes were out and yet they were and you ran over someone, you're not going to prison for that. You had no idea. But the law says here that if... Christopher's oxen gores my son. Well, he's okay. But he must put that ox to death. Now, if he doesn't put the ox to death and he gores somebody else, he's getting put under the prison. He's out. See you later. We'll come visit you. Right? Same way in our civil world today, isn't it? I don't know my brakes are out. I run over somebody accidentally at Calhoun. Well, it was an accident. But if they tell me to go get my brakes fixed because they obviously are not working and instead I go buy Xbox One instead of get my brakes fixed, run over somebody, guess what? See ya. See ya in ten years. Manslaughter. So in the Old Testament, you get a lot of civil law. That's just simply laws of living together. Okay? Now... All of those laws don't translate into our modern world, obviously. I mean, who all has an ox? Raise your hand. Exactly. But, you don't throw that out because I just showed you how that law can be interpreted for our modern times. Now, you have to work hard sometimes. I mean, there's some weird laws in there. you got to work hard to sort of get the jewel out of that 
And sometimes there just may simply not be one to be translated into our modern civil context. Civil law does not translate generationally. In other words, civil law is not for all time. Just as oxen no longer really are the driving force behind the workforce. Okay? Now, there's a second kind of law that you're going to come up that you're going to bump into, which we just read in Leviticus 1. It's called ceremonial law. These are laws that deals with certain ceremonies, certain religious practices, such as animal sacrifice. Now, in the ancient world, if you think that slaughtering animals today is grotesque and barbaric and brute, in the ancient world it was commonplace. I mean, the reason, the only reason we think that is because we go to Publix and they have already dyed the meat to make it look red. Meat's not red. It's like a gray color, especially when it's been left out that long, dead. It turns gray. It's not red. They dye it so that it looks fresh. It's not. <laughs> um, we go buy Chick-fil-A and grab a Chick-fil-A biscuit because we don't have to pluck the feathers. We don't have to chop the head. We don't have to rend and break and drain and cook. No, we just, here's my card, man. Ah, such a good biscuit here. Oh, save the animals, by the way. And the ancient person would just simply look at us. What are you? Everything around them died. They saw people die. We go hide people when they die in hospitals and, and other things and let other people take care of them. That's not how the ancient world worked. Death was all around them. They saw it constantly. I, I never forget when I start talking about the ancient world that my wife would not be with us today 200 years ago. Appendicitis would have taken her out. We would have just literally took her home and said, all right, let's make her comfortable until she leaves. She would have died. My dad would be dead. But for modern medicine. We don't understand what kind of world we're living in and we don't understand the world of the Bible. And yet we're going to sit here and pontificate upon it. Oh, these bunch of brutes. They don't know what they're doing. God's plan's really weird. We don't take the time to understand. Amen. When you approach the Bible, you have to understand you're coming to an ancient text. You don't bring your world to its world. Demand of them to act like you act. No. No, we approach them as it was written in that context. And so, we get animal sacrifice, which is ceremonial. But thankfully, thankfully, for my job's sake, I don't have to sacrifice animals. <laughs> I'm really glad about that too, by the way. That's just not my thing. You know. um, but that was God's way. Sometimes God's way seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, even in the Roman world in the first century... Christians were mistaken for cannibals. To cannibals, that's a really weird thing to call a I've heard Christians call a lot of things, but not cannibals. Eat this body, which is given for you. Drink this blood, which is for you. This is what the Romans heard. Oh, man, they're eating people. That's weird. Zombie-esque, apocalyptic weirdos, you know? No. No, no, no. We misunderstand. 
One of the greatest things God has done for us is give us the Old Testament. Now, trust me, coming to the Old Testament is very difficult. You're going to meet some people that are not like you and me. They come from a different hood, if you would. I'm trying to be poetic. A different hood, if you would. Um, poet don't know it, right? And so, you have these things that God lays out that are very common in their world. Animal sacrifice was the name of the game. They actually went further than animal sacrifice and sacrificed humans. In particular, children. Because children are one of the greatest gifts. The highest prize. Especially in the ancient world. Especially males in the ancient world. Were prized because that meant money for you. Female did not. By the way, even in our modern world, the most aborted of the two sexes is female. See, we, we don't live so far from these guys. That's the reality. If we will take the time to understand, to read through and ask God to help us understand rather than not read. Don't not read Leviticus. You know, Brady and I often joke about Leviticus, but seriously. One of the most recurring terms, or sorry, the most recurring term in Leviticus is this one word, holy. This is how God describes Himself in the Bible. Holy. I am holy, therefore you be holy. Leviticus shows us the way to be holy. Now, it's not your way. I've already told you that. It's not my way. I wouldn't have chosen this way. But God does, and we must submit to that way just like they had to submit to their way. Now, I told you of two, civil and ceremonial. Let me tell you the third one, and that is moral law. So the Ten Commandments, that's moral law. When God says, do not murder... That's forever. That's, you know, the other two change generationally. You know, we don't do the ceremonial law anymore. We can learn from it. It teaches us something. It teaches primarily about another sacrifice that will come later that is the sacrifice that will end all sacrifices. It's Jesus. We wonder sometimes, why did He have to suffer? Why couldn't He just wave His wand? Speak up. He spoke the world into existence, right? Why can't He just simply say, you are forgiven and you be forgiven? Why does He have to become a stinking human, sit in our body for 33 years, and die the most horrible death you can die while He's being made fun of? And ridicule. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Unless we've read the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you're going to find object lesson, for those of you who teach, after object lesson, after object lesson. You know, the best way to teach children is actually object lessons. 
That's why I really don't do them here with you. Is because you're not supposed to be children. I'm the only object lesson you get. But with children, no. If you just sit there and talk to them 30 minutes, that, uh, no. I mean, I already know that you're only going to remember maybe 10% of what is said today. But children, closer to zero. Unless you have an object lesson. Show them something. Actually, show them how it works. Now, that's hard to do. But God pulls it off in the Old Testament. You think, what in the world is God trying to show by all this slaughtering and death and you've got to splatter the blood here and sprinkle the blood on the people and you know, wash this thing and burn all this one up but don't burn that one and eat this one together as a meal. It's all kind of regulations. It's all kind of ceremonial laws. What is God doing? I'm glad you asked. God is trying to teach us How deep sin goes. How deep my sin goes. What my sin costs. You see, it's not just you sin and you contain it. We talked about that last week. It's uncontainable. There are things that you set in motion that are not controlled by you. You may not have intended for that poor little lamb to lose its life, but because of your sin, because of my sin, it must die. Not one of the, you know, not, not the lamb that come out that's got a limp and, and, a, and losing, lost an eye. That's not the lamb you get. The Bible says you give a perfect lamb. That term perfect is exactly what a lamb's supposed to be. It's what you tell a little kid when you say, you are perfect to me. Which means he's exactly what a little boy should be. Does he talk too much? Yes. Does he mess up and spill things? Absolutely. But that's what a boy, a little bitty boy is supposed to do. I'm that little tapper that's about knee high at my house named Todd. He's perfect to us. Why? Because he's exactly what a boy should be. And the Bible requires of us in the Old Testament a perfect sacrifice. One that is exactly like a sheep is supposed to be. It's not missing anything. It's what a sheep should be. But there's a more perfect sacrifice, isn't it? For sin. It's what Hebrews will tell us. And it's Jesus who was not only the exact representation of what a human should have been, but He was perfect in every way. Without sin. Just as that little lamb. I mean, they used to, for Passover, remember, they had to tie that lamb up for about a week. And every day, man, 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 they would go by and pet him as they left the house and the kids would be attached to him. Just like if you brought a new animal into your home, they would be probably attacking him, tripping over him, you know, laying on him. Uh, suplexing him, you know, whatever it might be. They're going to get involved with this animal. And then all of a sudden, you take that animal, as will be dictated here in the law, and you would put your hands on that animal to represent a passing of sin from you to this victim. That's actually the term that's used. Victim. And you would transfer your guilt to this lamb as you slit the throat and watch the life drain out of that animal. You killed it. You did that. That's the point. You did that. The kids watch. Everybody's crying. You're probably... I I would be emotional if I had to do that in front of my little two-year-old. And God says, 
That's what your sin always does. There's never a sin that doesn't cause death. And it's your fault. You did that. That's a tough lesson. And yet, over and over again, the blood flows. And what Leviticus will tell us later on, if we continue through the book, is that the life is in the blood. And only by blood can you receive righteousness. Atonement. At one meant. The only way you can be one with God is by the shedding of innocent blood. It costs something to sin. Don't you remember back Adam and Eve? How much it cost them? How much it cost us? How much it's cost you? But there is a way to be righteous. There is a way to be forgiven. It's through the blood. That's why even today modern people think we are really weird. Yes, there's power, power, power in the blood. Wonderful power. That has to be a southern song, right? It doesn't even have the ER there. You know, it's just power. Um, Power in the blood. We're washed in the blood. What kind of sick people have been watching too much Walking Dead, is what people would say. Washed in the blood? What are you talking about? If you don't ground yourself in the Old Testament that God has provided for us, all those years were object lessons to teach us really what Jesus has done for us. He became the Lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice. And He laid down His life for us. He did not have to. He was innocent. I was not. And my sin, Marshall's sin, put Him there. And that guilt, praise be to God, was transferred from me to Him. Your sin. And my sin. And it cost God something. He sent His own Son to suffer and to die to expiate, atone for our sin. He was the victim when I should have been. When you should have been. It's a funny thing what God has done. And many people don't understand it nor do they even try to understand it. Which is really sad for me. If Jessica did something for me, and she has, and my, my grandpa has done something, my dad has done I try to think about the sacrifice it took for them to do that. For her to be with me for now, this coming May, 11 years of marriage. 12 years of knowing each other. That's a sacrifice in itself. Ask her sometime. You see, the way to the Holy One has to be through sacrifice. That's what chapters 1 through 7 of Leviticus actually deal with. Then you get chapters 8 through 10, which God then does something even weirder, and that is He calls some of us out from among the rest and says, okay, now you're going to be ordained for certain acts. Priests, 8 through 10, actually talks about 
the priesthood being set up. So God sets up His sacrificial system. And he says, who's going to provide over, uh, preside over that is actually these guys who are priests. And here's what I've learned through studying Leviticus is that the Christian faith must be expressed concretely in outward actions. This is what's going on here. This is why God is so particular. These people are doing this. Now you do this at this time, not at this time. Do this here and there. Look, have you noticed in our worship service there's a structure? You think we just kind of threw that together? Oh yeah, let's just tell what, let's just throw this in here. No, no, it's it's by design. There's a purpose to it. Why are there ordained people for for serving you all over the world today that have been preaching, pouring their life out? Why is that? It's because of right here. God is the one who does it. It's not me. Trust me. We're all ministers. Every single one of you are ministers of the gospel. You minister in places I'll never get into. It's not my job to minister and your job to come here. That's not the job. That's not the job description at all. My job description is to serve you as you minister in your world. I oversee this body, which there are many bodies of Christ all over this city and beyond this city. There's nothing special other than God has called me to this task and He's called you to go to work tomorrow in a different way. It's funny, one of the... One of the one of the inmates, he said, he, he pulled me to the side, you know, because some of them want to talk to clergy members. And he pulled me to the side, he says, so, um, so you and your dad are, 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 are uh, pastors, right? I mean, you know, that, is, that what you, is that what you do? I said, yeah. He says, so, so you don't work. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right. I, I don't work, man. I just, that's all I do, you know. Um, used to, I would be really defensive about that because typically people think, oh, you just work on Sunday, man. I wish I had that kind of job. You know, just, all you do is get up there and talk in front of people for just maybe a couple hours and you're done. I mean, that's, that's all. That's, that's what I want. I have to go to work every day, you know, pull hours. Um, and I used to be real defensive, you know, oh, man. But now I, um, uh, I, don't, I don't even try to, try to argue, you know. It's the same way when I, because, and here's why. It's like when I ask one of you, you know, engineers, I'm like, so, so now what, what, what exactly do you do? You know, you sit there and tell me for 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, it doesn't sound like much. I wish I had that job, you know. You make a whole lot more money, and it doesn't sound like you're doing a whole lot. You know, just sitting at a computer typing in some stuff. Well, that's really tough work, you know. No, we don't understand what each other does sometimes. But that's okay. That's all right. You, you may not ever understand what an ordained minister, even if whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't work for any of you. I work for God. Amen. You don't work for me. You work for God. We're all here to help each other. We're all ministers. We've all been called. Every single one of us. And, and the only difference between me and you is that I'm here to equip you. I'm here to serve you. Now you go serve others. Isn't that what Jesus did? He called 12 guys out of the rest and He washed their feet, which is just absurd. And He said... Now I want you to go do that to others. This is what we're doing here. This is the mission. <laughs> Nobody's out of a job here. Everybody's got a job. What Leviticus shows to us is that actions express our faith externally. 
What I mean by that is what Mark 2 says, and that is Jesus saw their faith. Very important. Your faith must be seen. There's a guy that stood up at Kairos just yesterday. He's at my table. And he said, I'm not a Christian, but what I've seen here is Christian action. I've seen it. I used to have an idea about what Christians were. Oh, yeah, Christian. I've actually seen you now. I've been around you. I've felt your love. And the one thing he said that challenged him and that he's in awe of, didn't even know how to articulate it yesterday, was he said, Christians love. You know what Jesus says? Jesus said, they will know you are Christians. Not by what you profess. Not by how much you know, you know about the Bible. How good you are in your private life. No, they'll know you are Christians if you love one another. If you love one another. That man saw the love of God. Now what is that worth? Is that worth me being away from my kids all weekend? Absolutely. Sun up to sundown, I leave before they get up all week this week, even before Kairos. The good news is that I don't just live for this world though. Neither do you. We live for another world. If my sons know Christ and go to heaven with me, we've got all eternity. But until that day, we work. We put our hands to the plow. There are people who need to pull on us. Who need to bite at us. Jesus says a really crazy thing. He says, look guys, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. That's not a very nice thing to do. You ever thought about that? It's like, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Because He's the Lamb who goes before us. And when His blood is spilled out, the world is able to taste and see what He's made of. And sometimes the world has to take a bite out of you in order to taste what Christianity really is. It's not so much in your actions sometimes as much as your reactions at work. Somebody does something wrong to you, that's when people are really watching. When you can do all the good, good stuff, you know, hey, I went to prison, hey, I did this. Or that. What about when you react against something? That's pretty telling, isn't it? That's when people, how's he reacting to that? Mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. They want you to fail. But deep inside, they really don't. They want to know that there's hope to live a righteous life. And there is. It's through the blood of the Lamb. Not not of animal sacrifice, but of the living person, Jesus Christ, who has already paved the way for us to lay down our life for our friends. We can do that. That's the good news. We can do that. We can express our faith in community. That's what Leviticus is talking about. God sets up a way for them to do that. Guess what? He's already set up that way in the church. That's the way you express that faith that is not just private, but public. It must be public. And so, here we are at Harvest Point. Here you are. I left the other day prison and you know all these prisoners hugging on me and this sort of thing and you know um, crying and you know we're just sharing all this stuff to I go home to the most innocent people in the world which are children who then are hugging on me 
And now I come to you who are sort of in between. You're not innocent anymore. Not that childlike innocence. You're adults. Some of you are guilty. Today, you're guilty. You haven't transferred that guilt to Jesus. But you can. You can today. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to live under the guilt of sin. Under the power of sin. The Old Testament proves what sin can do. The New Testament proves what God can do. And He's the victor. He's gained victory for us. Do you believe that? I live by that. I am covered by Him. If not, I am nothing. But with Him, we bear much fruit, Jesus says. We can do all things. That sounds like a good deal to me. Are you willing to put your hands on Him and allow Him to transfer that old life, that dead life, to Himself? He can do that. He can do it right now. By the power of His Spirit as we believe in Him. Amen.